Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're we're often running with the new year, and uh, one of the sort of most challenging kind of juxtapositions of of themes that the Torah rolls out is right at the very beginning. It starts off with Parshas Breshis, which is creation. It's talking about the the creation of the the material universe itself and all of its vastness. And then the next Parsha, um, the next section of the Torah is Parsha's Noach, and it's, it's the great flood, it's the destruction of the world. So, so every year I'm, I'm wondering, how could it be that God creates the world, and then, then right afterwards he's destroying the world? How could it be? So, so I, I, have a, I have a thought to share with you to... To, to reconcile that, 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 that problematic idea. You know, it's something that I've thought about for years. But, but let's, let's backtrack for a moment before, before we get into that. And, um, and, and the Medrash says something very interesting. The Medrash says that God actually created and destroyed many worlds before this world. And that's, that in itself is, is kind of mind-bending. That, 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 that's a Torah idea. In fact... The Teferis Yisrael, who was one of the great um, commentators on the Mishnah during the 1800s, when, when, when fossils were being found, dinosaur fossils were being found, um, they came to him and they said, well, what do, you, what do you make of the fact that, you know, you've got these, like, fossils that are like, like, what is this? And, and the Teferis Yisrael was so happy, actually. And he said, we, we know that God created and destroyed many worlds before this world, and now we have physical evidence of what existed in one of those worlds before this world. So that, that's the way he looked at it. And in fact, modern science today says that there was a, um, an event, which was a, a massive asteroid crashing into Earth, which, which destroyed the Earth and wiped out all the dinosaurs. So, so that's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's, that, that actually aligns with that. And in fact, this, this word that's used, Vayechulu, um, Hashemayim Va'aretz, um, thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their array. So this is the, when we make Kiddush Friday night, we're sort of testifying that, that God, created, uh, God created the world. And we begin with this word, Vayechulu. Well, the Medrash says Vayechulu actually is the same word in Hebrew as and destroyed. Here we use it in the context and finish this world, but contained within the idea of God finishing this world is, oh, also he destroyed previous worlds. And that's actually contained in the word Vayechulu. Very interesting stuff. Now, with that in mind, I had sort of like a far out thought, and this isn't, I don't think this thought appears anywhere except in a previous talk of mine, so <laughs> I don't think I can quote myself and expect that to let any authority to what I'm, to what I'm saying. But, you know, um, the Torah is there for us to delve deeper into and to explore. So as my rabbi likes to say, take it or leave it. But here's the, here's the idea. You see, after the flood, you see a new world is, is created. Really. It's not just that the previous world was destroyed. It's that a new world was also created. And not only was a new world created, but the new world that was created is the world that we're living in right now. Meaning to say 
one of the things that you see in Parshas Noach is the whole idea of the lifespan of a person being 120. So that's, that's kind of the world we're living in right now. I mean, if you, if you look before then, you see lifespans that go for hundreds and hundreds of years, like 800 years, 900 years. All that was like very normal stuff. And in fact, scientists today um, talk about how we can get back to that place. Um, there's, anyway, I, I'm not really familiar with the science, but I've, I've sort of like read a few articles about how today's scientists don't think that um, arresting aging is, is actually that far off. That, that's something that can be done. So anyway, it's still not, not current science yet, but, but people are working on that. So, but the point is, is that the world that we live in today is, is the world that was created after the flood. And there are other examples too, by the way, um, besides the 120 age span. Kind of like seasons and, and also just how fast like planets are moving and things like that. All of those things, they say, were sort of like readjusted and, and redesigned for this new post-world flood, um, post-flood world. Okay, so with that in mind, here's sort of the way out thought. In the tradition that God created and destroyed many worlds, maybe the world that we read about with Adam and Chava and Breshis and everything like that was just the last of the worlds that God destroyed on the way to creating this world, the one that we're living in now, the the post-flood world. So, so that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. And let me just add to that idea. You see, one of the things that, that um, should be more widely known, I think, or certainly more widely appreciated, is, is what were human beings before we ate from the tree of knowledge? So we tend to think of human beings as, well, they look like you and me, right? It's just that, whatever, we were in the Garden of Eden. That, okay. But there's actually, the deeper sources actually say something um, very, very different. You see, you have to understand something, that all Midrashim, all the rabbinical teachings and stories and everything like that, a lot of them are quite wild. And, um, but you have to understand something, that they're all true. And, and what I mean by that, what I mean by that, is that there is a truth in all of them. And the rabbis sometimes will communicate that in a very wild, far-out way. But they're attempting to tell you a very key piece of information which is true. Which, 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 which means to say that the events of all the Midrashim aren't necessarily true. They may be true, could be true, but every single one is true, in fact, in that there is a truth that's being communicated in them, an essential truth. So let me give you an example. The reason why I'm telling you this is because an ama is, is, is a biblical measurement. It's about 
approximately four to six feet in that in, in, in that territory. Yes, you have a foot and a half. It's a foot and a half. An am is a foot and a half. Yeah, like Dalit Amos is about six feet. Oh, Dalit Amos. That's what I'm confusing. Yeah, I'm thinking of Dalit Amos as an ama. You're right. Thank you. Because Dalit Amos is a very uh, used measurement. But an ama, thank you, is about a foot and a half. So, so it says that Adam Harishon, uh, the, the first person, was a hundred amas tall. So, so that's really tall. <laughs> that's, really, that's, a, that's really, really tall. That's 150 feet approximately, right? Which is how many stories in a building? 15. Right? So that's like a skyscraper, right? Yeah. So, like a, so the first person was like a tall, tall building, like a, like a tall office tower. Okay? So, so is, 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 that the, is that actually the case? Or what is the truth that's being communicated through that? Because that sounds wild. But, what is, but we're just saying that all these things are true, but they're not necessarily true on the surface of it, that there's a truth being communicated. So what, what is the truth being communicated there by, the, by, by quoting that as the height of, of the first man? Um, and the answer is that we have to understand that we have to understand and appreciate our own individual greatness. Okay? That's one level. But getting deeper into it still, after the whole event of the eating from the tree of knowledge, it says that Hashem took us out of the Garden of Eden and God gave us clothes. Cutness or is the, is the phrase that's used in Hebrew. Now, the word or is really, really interesting because or, or is, a, is a homonym. So if you, if you don't remember back from third grade what homonyms are, let's do a quick review. Blue and blue are homonyms. So B-L-U-E is a color, blue, but it sounds exactly the same as B-L-E-W, like I blew air into a balloon. So they're two completely different words, but they both sound exactly the same. Those are homonyms. So or is a homonym in Hebrew. Two different spellings, two different meanings. So the or that we're all familiar with is aleph vav reish, or meaning light. Okay? So, so we were actually, we were created as creatures of light. Oh, wow. Okay. This is, that's headline news. We're creatures of light. So if you're a creature of light, yeah, I, why not be 10 stories tall? I mean, if you're a creature of light, then that's a completely different concept. We're talking about a completely different idea without boundaries, without physical boundaries. I mean, you turn on a small light in a room, and how, how far does that light extend? You could probably see that light from, I don't know, yards and yards and yards away, right? Even if it's a small light. Imagine being a great light, okay? So, so now all of a sudden we can wrap our minds around what, what that means. But, but let's get back to this idea that or is a homonym. It says that God, after we ate from the tree of knowledge and we were, we were told to leave the Garden of Eden, God gave us 
this clothing, and it's called cutness or. But this or is, is spelled differently. This, this or is spelled ayin vav resh. Right? Because ayin and aleph are both silent letters. So it's both pronounced or. But do you know what ayin vav resh, that or means, which is the one written in the Torah? means skin. God gave us skin. Isn't that interesting? Like, now, it's more traditionally learned as Rashi actually brings two, two ideas to explain what, what these clothing, what this clothing was, what this ore with an iron was. One was regular garments, okay? And in fact, there's a medrash, a very, very beautiful medrash that says, do you know what garments God gave us? Uh, the clothing of the high priest, the big day kahuna. Now, that's like really wild and very beautiful, actually, too, because think about it. This is the clothing that was special to the Kohen Gadol, to the high priest of Israel, right, that he would use to walk into the Holy of Holies. I mean, this is awesome. This is awesome. But when is God giving us this clothing? You would imagine like, like, like someone who's being elevated to the highest position and now at being elevated to the highest spiritual position, they're being given these awesome garments. But, but that, that's not the context. It's, it's actually the opposite right now, which is that we've just done something world-changingly wrong and God now is dressing us up in these garments why? To remind us as we're going into exile how special we are. Right? Like, okay, maybe you made a mistake. Maybe you did wrong. But, like, I, I, I love this lyric from Kanye West. I, I hope that I'm quoting it properly. You are not your mistakes. Right? You are not your mistakes. So, so, so we need this reminder. All of a sudden, God's dressing us in the, in the most awesome garments in history to remind us as we're going out into the world, we're not our mistakes. Um, so so there's, a second, there's a second teaching. Rashi actually doesn't bring that. That's a separate midrash. But they were clothes, special clothes, by the way. And by the way, if you don't learn that they were the, the big day kahuna, the clothing of the high priest, those regular garments, if you just learn them as normal clothes, also have a very special um, history to them. They were, they were given to Cain, and, and, and they, were, they were taken by Nimrod, who was like the first despotic king in the world. And, and Nimrod... Um, uh, had them taken from him by Asaf, right? Asaf like killed Nimrod and took the, this clothing. And then this was the special clothing that Yaakov Avinu, when he disguised himself as Asaf, that he wore these clothes when he went to get the brocha from Yitzchak Avinu. And that's why the Torah says that when Yitzchak says, you smell like, you smell so good. Like he's smelling Yaakov, who's disguising himself as Asa. 
you smell like the field. What he was referring to is you smell like Gan Eden because these are the clothes from Gan Eden. So this is another history of the clothes, right? But we've got the other Rashi. So the first Rashi is just that they were clothes, right? The second point that Rashi brings, and this is getting back to the idea that we were creatures of light. And, and how, do you, how do you know that? Not just because it's a homonym, not just because or, cutness or, that God gave us these, you know, and that seems like the word light also. But Rabbi Meir, right, who's one of the greatest giants of the Torah Shabbal Peh, it says, Stam Mishnah Rabbi Meir. If there's not, if there's, if there's a Mishnah, and there's, this is, there are legions of Mishnahs like this, Mishnayos, um, these teachings, that if there's, if there's one written down that isn't specifically attributed to a rabbi, it was from Rabbi Meir. So that means that probably the lion's share of the Mishnayos are from Rabbi Meir. So Rabbi Meir had a, his own private Torah scroll, and he wrote in the margin where it has the ayin, vavresh, or meaning leather garments, he wrote in the margin the letter Aleph, meaning to say that we were creatures of light. So the second Rashi is that, you know, look at your fingernails for a moment, that that was the skin that, that God put on us. So that was the garment that God put on us. But there you see the transformation of a creature to light, of light, to a normal human being like we look like. Right? In other words, that's the, that's the containment. That's the containment. That's, that, 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 that's a big adjust. So again, why am I telling you all of this? I'm, I'm telling you all of this because the world that we're living in right now you could argue, and again, this is me talking, you could argue that the, that the world that God was going to create, or even meant to create, was the post-flood world. And that this is just a remnant of one of the worlds that was destroyed before this world. So then you'd have to ask yourself the question, well then, why is it included in the Torah at all? And I think that it's included in the Torah, I would suggest, that because that's what we're supposed to get to, and that's who we are. In other words, on, on, on a very deep level, that passage in the Torah is our big day kahuna, is our garment of light, is, is our reminder of who actually we are and who we, we will, who we will be again. Meaning to say that, 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 that we've been missionized by that statement to fix the world and to perfect the world. Okay, it's, it's an idea. It's an idea. Um, but, but let's go further. Let's go further, because I really kind of just brought that as, just to kind of stimulate some thoughts and everything like that, but, but this is really the, the idea that I, I, I want to share with you, okay? Which is, back to the question that we started with. How could it be 
Let's think of it in, in perhaps a more conventional way right now, which is that, no, 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 no. The beginning of the world was really, was really where it begins, where we, where we traditionally understand it to begin. But then, if that's, if that's the case, then how could it be that God creates the world and then the next Parsha is destroying the world? How, how could that be? Right? So now I want to give a, a new thought. But, but this, this thought will be thematically related to the previous thought, but think of this as a new thought, okay? And, and I'm going to bring a halachic source to, 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 uh, to support this. Um, do you know that there are 39 categories of, of what's called malacha, which it will translate as work, or creating, let's say. 39 categories that went into building the Beis HaMikdash. Um, and those 39 categories of work are forbidden to us to do on Shabbos. Okay? Now that in itself is very deep. Because basically, our mission is to turn this entire world into a Beis HaMikdash. Okay, so that's all the mitzvahs that we're doing is we're, we're, we're turning this entire world into a dwelling place for God. That's the idea. And that's, that's sort of the famous Ramban, why it could be in, in, in Sefer Shmos, in the book of Exodus, it starts off with the, like, the most incredible narrative of all time, like the birth of Moshe and then all the, all the plagues and the miracles and the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai and the splitting of the Red Sea. And then all of a sudden, it becomes architectural digest for like the next month. It's just measurements and numbers of hooks and all these like very fine details on building this structure. So the Ramban says, well, now that we have the Torah and now that we're free, it's not that we're just supposed to build a particular building. Now our job is to turn the entire world into a dwelling place for God. That's why that that's, there's so much focus on that. And that's why the end game of, of history and what's synonymous with the coming of the building, with the coming of Mashiach, is the building of the third base on Migdash, the third holy temple. We've had two, and we're waiting for that third. And that will be the end of history. Now, I just saw something from the Chidush Rim, something awesome. If you look at the word Breshis, okay? Um, and this is using all of the letters. It's good to have it in front of you, just so that you can kind of stare at it as I'm telling you, but it's not so complicated. So if you, if you, this is, if you, remember, this world is a dwelling place for God, right? But now, now we're going to really make that a revealed idea. And how do we reveal that idea through the building of the Beis HaMikdash, okay? So, so Breshis, the creation of the world itself, you know, out of beginnings, with beginnings, right? Which Breshis means that, that it's already talking about God making a dwelling place for himself, right? But, but now look how the Torah is just worlds within worlds within worlds within worlds. If you take the word Breshis, if you take the first letter and the last two letters, that spells the word Bayit or Bait, Okay? Now you've got three letters in between. One of them is a resh, 
So, Bayit Rishon. That's the first base of Migdash. Another one of those three letters is a Shin. Bayit Sheni. That's the second base of Migdash. And the third letter there is an Aleph. Bayit Bayis Achron. That's the third base of Migdash. Chedush <laughs> Erem. So you see that within the word Breshis, not only are you talking about the creation of the universe, but you've also got a timeline of all of the Beis Amigdashes and the history and the destiny of the world within the word Breshis. It's awesome, right? So, 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 so when we say that we're learning all of the ideas of work based on building the Mishkan, which is the prototype of the Beis Amigdash, the Holy Temple, right? That, that makes sense because that is the essence of our work. That's the essence of our job is to turn the world into a, a dwelling place for God, right? Now remember, this is always, already the case. See, on some level, all of this is already true, but our job is to reveal the truth of it, right? So, so let me give you an example. When God created the universe, the rabbis say that he created one physical point of matter, and then he expanded that physical point of matter, matter on a very large scale, and that, that's how the physical universe was created. So if that sounds like the Big Bang theory, it, it's yes, that, yes, right? And, but, but this was from our holy sages thousands of years ago. We already knew this. But here's the interesting point. That's already interesting, but here's even more interesting. The sages go even further, and they say, what was that point of matter? <laughs> like, can you imagine, like, how awesome a question that is? Like, here they've just basically told you about how the universe was created thousands of years ahead of science, and now they're going an extra step, and they're going to tell you what that point of matter was made out of. It was the foundation stone of the Beis Amigdash, of the Holy Temple. So now this is me talking, but what I'm about to say is contained within this teaching, is that that means that if that, the foundation stone was that, or, or, or a piece of that foundation stone was that initial point of creation, and God expanded it over the course of the, over the entirety of the universe, that means the entire universe is made out of the DNA of the base of Migdash, which means this world is already one giant base of Migdash. But again, we're just in the process of revealing that truth. Okay, so now we can understand why it is that the 39 categories called work in this world derive from the building of the base of Migdash, because that is our essential work in this world, is to reveal that the world is a base of Migdash. Okay? It's also interesting that you can't do any of that labor on Shabbos. You know why? Because part of the world is already there. And you don't have to do it because it's already done. (laughs) 
On Shabbos, we get to celebrate the perfection of the world before the world is actually revealed as perfect. We get to be in tune with that point of perfection which is already in the world. That's the greatness of Shabbos. That's why, no, 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 it's Shabbos. You don't have to do any more building. You know why? Because you're in it already. Okay. So now, one of the categories, we're going to get back to our question. We haven't forgotten about our question, which is, how could God make the world in Sefer Breshis and then destroy it in in Parshas Noach? Right? Like, right away. Okay, now listen to this. According, halakhically, halakhically, one of the categories of building is called seiter, seiser. Okay, now this is a very interesting category of building. Do you know why? Because it's destroying. It's destroying. But it's a special kind of destroying. It's destroying for the sake of building. Excuse me. Now, imagine you, um, you know, we walk by construction sites all the time. And there are buildings on these construction sites. So you knock down the building, and then, then they start digging, like, two stories, three stories underground. And, you know, you could think, like, as, a, as an innocent bystander, Harachmanus, have mercy! How much do you want to destroy this building? <laughs> it's already dead! You know, you're, you're digging and digging and digging, you know? Like, leave it alone! It's gone. But, but what is going on? What's going on is that they're creating what, what, what might look like destruction or even willful destruction is actually creating the foundation for something way bigger to happen. That's what's going on. So... And, that, and now what used to be like a rickety older building is now going to have three floors of parking underneath and it's going to be a tower, right? So, so that is the halachic category of destroying, but not just destroying in a vandalistic way. Destroying with the purpose of building. Okay. Now, the name of this category of malacha is very, very interesting because samach taf reish also is the Hebrew word, you ready for this? For concealed or hidden. Right? It means destroying. Destroying for the sake of building. But it also means hidden or concealed. Now that's really deep. That's really deep. You know why? Because it means that you look at it and you think something's being destroyed, but the purpose, the true intent of it is that is hidden. Is hidden. Because really it's for the sake of building. So how about all of us in our lives? Right? You know, we build something and then sometimes it gets knocked down. And we think that that's the whole story right there. 
tell you, I don't know if I shared this story with you, but I was so moved by it. I was with some little kids, and there was one, one kid, I don't know how old he was, maybe five, and the other one was maybe three. And the three-year-old was building um, this like little Lego house. And the, the, the older kid, um, who picked it up and smashed it on the ground. And the way the other kid reacted was, he just took it and he started rebuilding it. And then I pointed out to his parents, I was so, I was so impressed by that. Because you can't teach a kid that at three. That's the kid's essence expressing itself. I said to the parents, that is so special. Look how he went right back to rebuilding it. And the other kid, right, heard and got jealous. And then he picked it up again and he smashed it. And you know what the other kid did? He went right back to rebuilding it. And I was like, I was blown away the first time. I was doubly blown away the second time. That, you can't, you can't buy that. You can't buy that. You know, you can try to inculcate that within you. But that's, that's, that, that, I'm telling you, let's, let's check in with that guy in 25 years, see what he's up to. I promise you it's something good. I promise you it's something good. So, so, so this type of destroying, this category of destroying is called hidden because on the outward level, it looks like destruction, but really it's for the sake of further building. And I think that we have to apply that lesson in our lives as well, not to get discouraged, to be like that little kid and to go, okay, I don't understand it. And by the way, you don't have to be happy with it either. I'm not necessarily happy with it, but this is what it is. Let's, let's move forward. Something, something's going to come out of this. I learned this great lesson, which is that you can turn every defeat into victory. How? By learning a lesson from the defeat. If you learn a lesson from the defeat, you have turned it into a victory. Okay? It's, you're on a different path. It's, it's not, you didn't go back in time in a time machine and reverse that event, but you have now been the victor. Because now, moving forward, you're a different and a better person. And you're not going to make that same mistake again. My father used to tell me this story all the time about someone who was hired by one of the great early industrialist tycoons, someone like Rockefeller or something like that. And he hired his number two man, and he told him the first day on the job, he said, you can make as many mistakes as you like, just don't make the same one twice. That's... A very, very strong, very strong, very strong words, you know? And of course, a wise person will learn lessons from other people's failings so that they don't have to make them their own, right? Sometimes we, 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 sometimes we have to go through it by ourselves. But if you can learn from other people's mistakes, even better. Okay. So now... We're still trying to answer the question, but we're, we're getting there. How could it be that God makes the world in 
Breshis and then destroys it in Noach. So, what if God wasn't destroying the world to destroy the world? What if this was a continuation of the building of the world? What if this destruction was not a destruction for just punitive sake, but this destruction was part of the creating of the world? Okay? So I'll give you an example from my own life. I, I grew up in New York City and, you know, born and raised in apartments and, and uh, you know, you know, a couple years after we got married, my wife mentioned, oh, you know, it would be good to get a house. And I thought, no, I don't even understand the concept of a house. <laughs> like, apartments make sense to me. It's, it's just living in an apartment, you know. What do we need to take on the debt of a house for? And why would I even want to live in a house? And she was victorious. <laughs> so we got this house. But we didn't know what to do with the house because it was like completely run down. It was like a, a junker of a house. And whatever. We, we didn't know anything about contracting or anything like that. Every once in a while, we'd meet with a contractor. We'd you know, say, yes, and we want to do this with this room and that with that room. And we'd be like, that's fantastic. That sounds great. Until he gave us the bill and was like, we can't afford that. You know, we can't do that. So the house, like, literally sat on a corner and um, untouched for, I want to say, around a year. Like, because we simply didn't know what to do with it. We didn't know what to do with it. And then there was this sort of like local guy, um, you know, and he didn't have any contracts, any licenses or anything like that. But for some reason, he kind of won over our confidence. And he did have one thing. He had a pickup truck and a sledgehammer. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, you know what? There's like an invisible force field around the house stopping us from doing anything with it. Do your thing. Let's just, let's just try it. See where it goes. And I showed up one, one day, and there, there, were like, there was like rubble. <laughs> and not only rubble, but there was like this cloud of pla- white plaster smoke, <laughs> you know, floating above the house. And I remember standing in front of it going, it's so beautiful. <laughs> and like anyone who saw it would have thought that I was like a madman. You know what I mean? Like they would have been like, no, you had a normal looking house like a few hours ago. This is rubble. And but for me, it was genuinely like a delight, really, honestly, a delight to look at. Because to me, it said progress is being made. We're making progress. And that was that was, the, that was the turning point of us eventually actually getting it together and, and moving into the house. So that, that actually worked out. That, actually, that move actually worked out. So, so what I would like to suggest is, is that the flood was, was not just destruction for destruction's sake or on a punitive level. There was an aspect of judgment going on, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. But, but that it was furthering the creation of the world. And remember how we started off. 
the world that we live in right now is the post-flood world. So, so there is this idea of the, of the finishing of the world. Certainly the finishing of the world that we live in now, going on. In other words, it was a, still a process of creating, even though, again, that destroying for the sake of creating is called, shares the same Hebrew word as hidden, right? Because on the surface, it just looks like one thing. Okay? So what was the, what was the process... What was the process of creation that was going on? What was the, what was the positive in it? Okay. So remember, we've got this very important foundational thought that applies to our own lives and the world itself, which is, it's in the Tehillim, Sur ra va'asetov. Go away from bad, turn away from bad, and do good. Right? Remember, it's not just enough to do good. You also have to turn away from bad. And it's not enough to turn away from bad. You also have to do good. It's this twin, these, this, this twin dynamic that we all have inside of us. And we have to exercise both aspects in order to be coherent human beings. So, so on a societal level, we had it on an individual level, I guess, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Chava. But on a societal level, a message was being communicated for all times that this world is not just a world to, to, to chase one's desires with abandon. Like, it's not a lawless society. You know, I, I told my daughter, she's in college, so she's sort of vulnerable to the, to the romance of, of, of these type of ideas. Um, which is, you know, traveling to all sorts of, you know, exotic places. And I, I, I made her, I just wanted to review with her, make sure that she knew the concept of what's called today a failed state. You know, there's something called a failed state. That, that's a place like the Sudan, basically. Like, these are lawless places. This is where they tried to make a government, and the people said, mm, no thanks. <laughs> And they're just like, we're good with the warlords. That's, that works for us. That's called a failed state. Don't go to failed states. Because <laughs> if you go, oh, wouldn't it be cool to go into that place so exotic? And the clothing and the people. <laughs> those are the places where you go and you don't come back from those places. Right? So, so there is a very intuitive, and I mean this, I'm using that word with the utmost respect right now. There is a very intuitive sense, and this is shared by many, many, many people, maybe the majority of people in the world, maybe over the majority of time in the world, this intuitive sense of what I want is good, and then just fill in the blank. And by the way, that might include me wanting to build a hospital too. Right? Something that you might agree is good. But it also might include a lot of things that you might go, hey, wait a second, you might want to think twice about that. But again, there's a very, what, what do we all know? Every single person, it says in the Talmud, if you save one person, it's like you save the world. So 
So every single person is their own world. So within my world, if I really feel like this intuitively, very strongly, is good, then doesn't that mean that it's good? I mean, almost by definition, doesn't that make it good if I really feel that it's good? So God says, no, no. Sometimes, maybe, could be, always, no. And, and that message must be communicated if you want to know what this world is and where this world is going. And this world isn't even finished yet unless we communicate this truth to you. And so I offer that in the spirit of the idea that this flood was still part of the creation of the world. Because until that truth has been essentially communicated, then, then the world's not really ready to get going in seriousness. And then if you think that the Parsha right after Noah is Lech Lecha with Avraham and the creation of the Jewish people, then all of a sudden you go, okay, well, it's all been kind of building to that, right? Which is what Rashi is saying on Breshis, anyway, that Breshis, Bereshis, for the sake of the first, and the Jewish people are called the first. So, so now all of a sudden you've got kind of a direct line from Breshis to Avraham in, a, in perhaps a, a more understandable way. Or, or for what Avraham is going to communicate to the world. Not that this is our world and not your world, God forbid, because we're all God's children, right? We all, we all have a share in, in the world and, and in a relationship with God. But now, now the, the finer points of this plan are going to be communicated to the world. So to appreciate all of this and to apply it in a, in a practical way, um, let's go back to this initial teaching of, 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 of how we were created initially, like this, this notion of the, this tower of light. So after, after the incident of the great flood, you have the story of the Tower of Babel. And the, the story of the Tower of Babel is like really way out. If you get into the sources of it, it's really, really way out. And basically, I'm not, this is not comprehensive what I'm going to tell you, but um, look in the Targum Yonasan and anyway, whatever it is, uh, I'll just tell you something on it. The idea was that the Tower of Babel was an attempt by human beings at that time to... Um, protect themselves from God. In other words, the Tower of Babel is very much a reaction to the Great Flood. And the idea is, if we can build a structure that's tall enough, we can basically um, immunize ourselves from divine justice. Because essentially, God won't be able to get us. So that's the idea, because they, they talk about how that we wanted to rise up into heaven to wage war against God. Like, that's one of the teachings that's brought. But if you 
kind of think about that. How can with like bow and arrows, like, can you wage war against God? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But if you can basically outsmart God, like get beyond the reach of the law, then you can defeat God, right? So, so that, was, that was the idea. That was, that was the idea, the essence of the idea. It's, it's, it's more amazing than that even, but that's, that in itself is pretty interesting. So, so connecting this to the idea of how huge we are, because they built some epically large structure. Um, we're all taller than the tallest skyscraper. We're all taller than, than the Tower of Babel. So what, what do we mean by that? Like, that's getting back to our initial thought of creation, our initial greatness. See, because if you want to rebuild after destruction, you have to have a level of confidence in yourself. You have to have a level of confidence in God, and you have to have a level of confidence that God has confidence in you, right? Like, one of, one of the things, the, the rabbis gave us this precious gift, which are the first words that we're supposed to say every, every time that we wake up in the morning, which is, which means, I gratefully thank you. Right? So the very first thing that a person is supposed to wake up with is this concept of gratitude. See, again, I've shared this before, and this is going to sound so simple, like you can just hear it and forget it as soon as I finish. But I promise you, if you think about these words, it will change your life, which is you have a choice. You can either see the world through the lens of what you have, or you can see the world through the lens of what you don't have. And that is completely 10,000% up to you. It's, it's completely up to you. Can you imagine going through life, no matter what your station is, whatever, no matter what your circumstances are, going through life, just seeing all the things that you have? You will, by the way, you will never run out of things to discover what you have, right? I mean, literally, as you're driving, I have, or walking, whatever it is, I have this view. <laughs> That's something that you have at the moment. <laughs> Didn't have it a moment before. I mean, you will never run out of things to have because there's never a moment where things aren't coming down from heaven. Okay, so, so we wake up with the words modani, I gratefully thank you. So, so gratitude being sort of like the foundation of how I'm going to sort of like reset my consciousness heading into a new day. And then the last three words of the modani are raba emunasecha, I guess the last two words, which is great is your faith, great is your faith. So the question is, there's a lot of pronoun confusion there. Great, great is your faith. Who's your? Who's, who's he? Right? Like, who's she? Like, so, so the Alexander Rebbe says, great is Hashem's, your meaning, we're saying, we are saying, great is your faith, God, in us. In other words, we end our opening thought every single day with the fact that God believes in me. 
And as Reb Leibola Eger says so strongly, that unless that you don't believe in God, unless you believe that God believes in you. Because God believes in you. So if you don't also believe that God believes in you, you don't believe in God. So in other words, part of believing in God is believing that God believes in you. Because he's given you another day. I mean, it's sort of like, like the proof is in the pudding. Here's another day. Of course I believe in you. Why am I? Otherwise, why am I keeping you alive? Why am I giving you strength? Why am I giving you food? So it's a promise fulfilled at the same time. It's not just an empty vote of confidence. Okay, so, so let's get back to this idea of, again, the, the initial creation of human beings. right? Because why are we being told this awesome thing about us coming from creatures of light, or being a creature of light in our essence, unless it's something that's still true on some aspect about ourselves? So now, let's talk about our souls for a moment. There are five levels to the soul. Three levels of the soul exist within us, and two levels of the soul exist outside of us. Okay? And they go all the way up to the Kisea Kavit, all the way up to the heavenly throne of glory, which is like dimensions beyond our world. So, so that means, just on a practical level, something super cool, which is that when you look in the mirror, when you look at each other, you don't end at the top of your head. You actually stretch all the way up to the throne of glory. Every, that, that's amazing. That's amazing. So now all of a sudden you realize, well, wait a second. Okay, I've got this garment of skin around me, but that's just an outer, that's just the outer reality of it. The actual reality of it is that I'm still the creature that I was originally created as. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. So, so God is still in the middle of telling this story. And, and we're, we're key players in this story that is unfolding right now. And I just want to end with this thought. It's a thought that um, I had a while back, but, but just put it all together for you guys right now. So, breishis, we, we talked about the word breishis and how it contains bayit rishon, bayit sheni, and bayit achron, right? The three base amigdashes, right in the very first word of breishis from the Chidush Sherem. So, I want to say my own thought, okay? Which is that if you take the word breishis, and you divide it into three parts, you'll get, you, you can get the following. Aleph is the first part, the letter Aleph. The letters Yud and Resh are the second part. And then the word Shabbos is the third part. Okay? So I want to show you how in the word Breshis, you can see the entire history of the world from before the world was created till Mashiach comes. So the first part is the letter Aleph. That stands for Hashem, right? Because Aleph is one. And everybody knows that the letter Aleph is made out of the three letters, Yud, Yud, and Vav, which add up to 26, which is the gematria, the numerical equivalent of Yud, K, Vav, K, God's holiest name. 
So God is, is the Aleph, right? So God existed before the world was created. That's the Aleph of Breshis, before the world was created. Then you have Yud and Resh. That adds up to 210. So the Torah says that we were enslaved in Egypt for 210 years. Okay? So, in other words, until Mashiach comes, the world is in exile. Right? That's, that's, that's like the shorthand for exile. 210. The years that we spent in heavy servitude in Egypt. And then the last word is Shabbos. Because the Messianic period is called Yom Shekulo Shabbos. The day that will be all Shabbos. So you see, within the word Breshis, you have before the world was created, the Aleph, exile, and the Messianic period, all within the word Breshis. So in that way, you can see, see, the Zohar says that the entire Torah is contained within the word Breshis. And you can see that Breshis is a timeline from before creation till Mashiach comes, okay? Now, let's talk about the fact that the word Breshis ends with the letter Tuf. The letter Tuf is the last letter of the Olive Bays. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? If, if that's the timeline of history, if that's a microcosm of creation, it should end at the end, right? Especially if you factor in the idea that God created the world out of the letters. So the letter Tuf should be the end of creation. Makes sense, right? Now, throw in one last idea, and this will be the end. We have a concept in Torah, it's in the Gomorrah actually, called Atbash. Atbash is a system of exchanging letters. So the first letter is exchanged for the last letter. You can turn an olive into a tuff, right? You can turn a base, the second letter, into a shin, the second to last letter. That's actually where we get Atbash from, okay? So, and then that system goes there's 22 letters. The first 11 letters can be flipped over into the next 11 letters. And there's a system. Each letter correlates with another letter, and they can be exchanged. So I heard, I saw Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, Allah Shalom, explained what is the concept behind Atbash. Okay, we get the idea that you can change the first letter for the last letter, the second letter for the second to last letter, and on and on. But what's the idea behind it? Okay. So he explained it. It's very, very brilliant, very simple, which is that you have two ideas. One is revelation, and once something is revealed, then perception can begin. Okay, and I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. If, for instance, let's say I'm telling you a recipe. So when I finish telling you all the ingredients of the recipe, when I get to the end, to the tough, so to speak, then you can begin to perceive what the recipe is. Because now you've heard all the ingredients, right? And until you've heard all the ingredients, you don't know what the recipe is yet, all right? Imagine I give you directions to my house, and then at the end I go, and it's the third house on the left, right? When I'm done, now you can actually get to my house, right? So, so the first process is revelation. The second process is perception. Okay? Is that, is that clear? Okay. So the normal spelling of the letters, that's revelation. And then once the revelation is complete, the perception can begin. Okay? 
So, so God is telling the story of the world. Breshis. Breshis is an encapsulation of the entirety of the story of the world. So when God gets to the end of the world, word, when he gets to the letter tough, right? That's when the revelation, that's when the story has been told. Now the perception can begin. Tough turns into the letter Aleph through Atbash. So now we can figure out what it is that God has been talking about since the very beginning. <laughs> Once we get to the end, to the tough, the tough turns into an Aleph. Now we can understand, oh God, yeah, that's, yeah. Oh yeah. I get it now. <laughs> I'm so glad I hung in. <laughs> The Chidush Erim says something very, very fascinating. He says, you know, first God creates light, and then God creates, like, the heavens and the earth, and then God creates the days of creation. God creates Shabbos. God creates the Jewish people. God creates the land of Israel. God creates Shemitah, right, which is the idea that the land doesn't belong to us, right? So the Chedush Arim says, from the Torah itself, you see that God, there's an unfolding of creation, right? Because God could have just created it all at once. But he didn't create it all at once. He created it a step at a time because a story is being told, a process. The fact that the world is a process and that process is being revealed is part of the essential truths of telling us what this world is. And all of us get to go through this process. And the amazing thing is, is that as the process unfolds, you get to understand what it is that God meant from the very outset. And when we get to the very end of the process, all of a sudden you realize, oh, that's what God meant all along. <laughs> that's, that's what was going on. Rabbi Green tells a story. He was a little kid, and his grandmother, it was a very, very, very hot day in Baltimore. And she, she took him he thought that they were going to like have a nice time together and she takes them to a store and they have to wait online and then she buys these things and he's carrying this heavy bag and it's so hot and then they walk and he thinks he's maybe going home or whatever it is and then they get on a bus and he's like oh and then it's such a long bus ride and then she's taken him to the beach and she's bought all these like delicious things for him to eat at the beach. <laughs> and he had no idea that that's, that's what he was in the middle of. And that his grandmother loves him so much and was like, you know, just preparing this fantastic day for him. And then he finally realized what it was that was going on the whole time. And that's going to be, that's going to be our experience as well with Hashem. 
And, and, and the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful blessing is if we know that that's what the end is, then we can enjoy the ride right now. We can enjoy the ride right now. But it really means having a good eye. We have to have a good eye for each other, and we have to have a good eye for God.